there's just this very natural, lively flow of information, discussion, and thought partnership that keeps this culture very vibrant. And I think part of that is that very intentional decision back in 2012 to toy with the organizational structure. You're listening to Navigating with Integrity, a conversation series mind mapping crisis response and nonprofit leadership and exploring what it means to dismantle white supremacy culture in our workplaces. This podcast is hosted by Woman Inc., a San Francisco based nonprofit that has been serving the city and larger Bay Area since 1978. We support survivors of domestic violence and their loved ones on their healing journeys, bridging value rich networks designed to address intersections of violence. So we are here for episode three of Navigating with Integrity. I'm Shayna. I'm Jill. Hello. <laughs> Why does everything start so awkward like this? <laughs> this is who we are. <laughs> we navigate things with awkwardness. Well, it's authentic, so. I was just going to say, and I'll add with authenticity. So, hey. <laughs> okay. So the first one is going to go over the questions that we put together for organizational culture. Conjoin that with existing policies because I think that they're connected. Maybe I just op- open with like, if you had to describe the organizational culture and structure, how would you say Woman Inc. operates? Okay. From my perspective, Woman Inc.'s culture is very pivotal. It's the foundation of everything we do, just like every other organization. But I think we're we're good at kind of naming that and understanding that and speaking to that. I would say that our culture is very supportive of folks as people, not just as employees. So it allows for a culture of care to emerge. It allows for folks to develop who they are, both at work and also really kind of lends credence to that work-life balance. So hopefully people are able to discover more about themselves as a result of working at Woman Inc., if that makes any sense. And we are, I think we have a culture of curiosity and realness. So the culture really lends itself to discussion and kind of emerging theories and new like language that's new to us and um, ideas that are new to us and content and input from outside the organization, outside the domestic violence field and movement that can be brought in. And because we all are pretty curious in developing these theories, like in terms of how they're going to play out at Woman Inc. There's a really healthy infusion of outside perspective that speaks to our theory of change and centering survivors, you know, and I think it speaks to the structure. It's very adaptive and flexible. I would say we are always changing. We always have goals 
of developing people's leadership, like helping develop people's leadership as a result of working at Woman Inc. So kind of surfacing what individual interests are. And in order to do that, you need to, you need to be adaptive. If you're going to say that you're like an open, curious workspace that supports a, you know, creates a culture of care and um, we're a leaderful organization, then we need to be able to adapt as an organization so that that's, those interests and those talents and strengths are developed in people. We've changed based on folks' interests in ways that I think have helped us do make a greater impact with survivors and hopefully, and hopefully in our, com- our community at large. I think some of the coolest and like, I don't know, joyful projects have come out of this like curiosity and openness to allow people to try new things. Yeah, like a Chanda Palante. Wasn't that first like a participant idea and then blossomed from there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, really. That's the, the DNA of it, essentially. It was like, oh, these people are still connected with Woman Inc. We're not entirely sure what the draw is in that they're out of crisis and they're still coming and they're still like engaged. So what will help? Yeah, like you say, what will help deepen that connection? And what what do they need from us in order to have that happen? And then they just took it and ran with it. Yeah. Yeah. So cool to see it, like how it how it's evolved in like built community. Also on our blog, there is like a report that was made out of interviews with participants or leaders in that group if anyone wants to learn more check it out i love that report too that's good i always return to it too for like quotes and stuff it's a must read everyone (laughs) yes okay so on the navigating with integrity chart there's a question on there around like what role Um, people in positions of power play and who has respect and authority within the organization. So I thought it'd be good to just kind of talk about how Women Inc. is more of a flattened or non-hierarchical organization versus one with like a significant hierarchy, which is usually what you see in most nonprofits or most like organizations, businesses are kind of across fields. So I was curious to hear, I guess, your thoughts on that and how Woman Inc. got there. So there's the, that concept of power and who holds power and power in and of itself not being a bad thing. It's just wielded irresponsibly and with oppression sometimes. So it's, it's, so we had a lot of conversations during or post fiscal crisis around what actually will it take to not just sustain the organization, but to sustain the leadership, to sustain the team that we have that basically pulled us through and out of crisis in, in all of the ways. There were so many different crises, crisis, <laughs> crises that stemmed from that catalyst of that, the fiscal crisis. And uh, one of the things we named as being really important was sharing power and 
sharing information, like being very transparent with information that's typically held by a person, one person, and seeing the, the authority that each person has. And, you know, that authority is different than holding power or holding positional authority, right? Like as the executive director, right? Holding the lion's share of the positional authority. I just need to speak to that as I <laughs> talk about power. It's not indicative of respect. There's like positional authority, there's community authority and community respect. And just because I hold the, the title of executive director, it might mean that in a traditional hierarchy, right? It might mean that, well, I, I'm in charge and I make the decisions. And that's very much how Womanink used to run um, within previous iterations because we navigate capitalism. Yeah. And it does not mean that I have any sort of respect out in the community. But it probably does mean that my coworkers do. So we had a lot of conversations about how do we enact that and just speak to that truth that like positions within an organization don't really hold the most weight. It's like who who has, who is an authority on this subject? Who is an authority on management? And also who holds the respect of the community? Who holds the level of experience and expertise that others might not? So we had a lot of conversations about that. And a very natural result of those conversations was, okay, we need to create a leadership team where we can come together and make programmatic organizational decisions together. And we were very clear to name the types of decisions that not everyone could be brought into for like employee confidentiality, for instance. But we were clear to name the types of decisions that really, there's, there's really no credence to an executive director holding all of the financial information at the organization that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean, but it could mean that that's just a level of, of control that the, the ED essentially holds over the organization, you know, like, so we were like, like we're just going to share that information. The information is now shared with the folks. So, and that really changed our organizational structure. It changed our, the positions in the organization and those changes have not stopped. They've adapted. Some have been harder to imp implement than others in terms of the organizational structure. There's been a lot of it, a lot involved, but that doesn't mean that the executive director cannot share their power. They have positional authority. They can basically do a lot, you know, and unfortunately a lot of times that means what I think a lot of EDs need to do is just get good at stepping back and sharing power. So like on a personal level, that's what I've done. I can only, you know, I can speak to that. Um, and in doing so, all of the team, like the leadership team has stepped up in ways and everyone's kind of doing everything. And like the input's like, oh, well, why don't we try this? And maybe we don't go for that grant. What do you think? There's just this very natural, lively flow of information, discussion, and thought partnership that keeps this culture very vibrant. And I think part of that is that very intentional decision back in 2012 to toy with the organizational structure and really try and make it 
illustrative of the way we actually work instead of working in a way that backs up an, an organizational structure that's based on white supremacy culture and capitalism. We're not supposed to be about that, you know? Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that. Just resonating with this idea that like, you can't assume respect based off of like a title in an organization. I think that goes the same way, like from like a executive leadership, quote unquote, situation, but also like even from an advocacy standpoint, I think in a lot of direct service, people just assume that we have like trust from the people who are coming in and like wanting support and expect people to just disclose everything like we're entitled to it because it's our role. So I think that really does trickle throughout the whole organization and it's so different to have quote unquote respect in a professionalized way versus having respect in the community because you've done the work to be a part of it. So I just wanted to add to that. It resonated. Yeah, that's really important. I That's a really good extension of that concept because it, it's true. It plays out in all the ways and all the different levels of connection. Yeah. It also disrupts this idea of like, that's just the way things are. And maybe this is like extra salient for me being in a graduate program, but like there's so much gatekeeping of providing social services and like having an MSW, for example. I've just seen the way that like people who do hold like advanced degrees are really um, pretentious and like condescending and assume that they have an expertise that other people who happen to not have advanced, quote unquote, advanced degrees don't. You might have like more respect. Yeah, again, like from a professionalized standpoint, but that doesn't mean that you have respect from the community, the people you're trying to support. And honestly, it's really gross to consider benefiting from academia, a system that's been so oppressive to so many people and like so inaccessible. So yeah, I guess I grapple with that tension, wanting to do community work and knowing what it means to then just like have MSW after my name with all of this like these weird structures of hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Did I did I make sense? Yeah. No, it totally it totally makes sense. And I I mean, I understand an element of it. You know, I don't I, in terms of I kind of liken it to the title of executive director. There's there are there's a a level of assumptions attached to that title in and of itself. And so I think one of them that I always kind of bristle up against is like, I did not start out this work to become a freaking executive director. I never wanted to be an executive director. Mm-hmm. And I never worked with an executive director that I was inspired by. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I felt like a lot of them were actually obstacles for me because of the way that they disempowered the ground, the people who were doing the actual work. So I came into this work doing the work, just like, just like you did, you know, you came in as a volunteer and you like, quote unquote, did the work, not to like romanticize that, but it's also like, well, that's why I started doing this work. And that's also, I mean, 
that's up to to me to define what that what that title means to me and what that means for the organization. And I hope that I've done something a little different with that title, which is why I'm like always really happy actually when people who work at Woman Inc. go and develop. And if that means that, oh, I'm going to develop and I'm going to go get my MSW and I'm going to kick some some ass and I'm going to like redefine that for myself and then all the people I come in contact with and help. So I'm always really like, I'm just happy when people identify their next steps. And I'm always sad when they leave Woman Inc. I was very sad when I didn't get to see you every day at Woman Inc. And also like, I am so happy that 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 happened here, that it was like, oh, um, I think I want to go do this and get this like degree and be this this person out in the world. Because I know that that is impacting a system. We need more people who are like having that kind of like, level of thought and consideration about what does this actually mean and how do I fight against what I think the assumption is and how do I show some show up differently and <laughs> I'm just like yeah you could do that work <laughs> you could change that field you could do that thing you know so um yeah it's a both and it is a both and yeah, I appreciate you sharing like how you got into the into the work because like the story always starts. I don't ever hear people who have positional authority tracing steps back to like the ground up. I mean, I've heard plenty being like, I've been doing this work for 35 years. Like, and I'm saying that in like a particular context, like I've seen it weaponized or like used as a way to yield power in a, in a room where you're being disagreed with. Well, it's a hiding behind a title and hiding behind a number. And like, I totally agree with you. I've, I, I, and listen, like, I'm no different. I've been doing this work for a really long time. Like, and also, in my perspective is just a little different and it applies to women in, you know, in that, yes, yes, I have been doing this work for a long time. And yes, I have a level of experience that I understand that others I work with don't. And I also understand that they have a level of experience that I do not based on their lived experience. And like, if for no other reason, how boring to never infuse the field or your organization or your life with new ideas and new people. It's like, yeah, I've been doing this work for a really long time. And you know, it's been happening. You know, it's happened since I've been doing this work. Our field has gotten more co-opted by oppressive systems mm -hmm. and more black women have been pushed out of the field. Mm -hmm. I think we're hopefully turning a corner. That's in part because of folks who have been doing the work that long and maybe they stepped back and like made some space but um that I think that's due to you know the infusion of new energy and people saying hey guess what that's I'm gonna call you to task for that you know and I'm like are you like basically trying to make the field great again or are you invested in the future of of the people doing the work and the people we're working for who are you in this context? And I know that sounds super screwed up, but I'm just saying. Also, where are you? Why are you saying that? The most dangerous folks are the people who have the language to hide that. And, you know, 
to tie it back to woman ink, I hope, go out and we get input. We infuse our space with new ideas. And I'm not always the best person to do that because I've been doing the work the longest. In my mind, the best people to bring that in are like the volunteers and the people like who are younger than me and the people who are like haven't been doing the work and are learning about the work and see it through a different lens than I I can you know but um yeah I hope we constantly push against that like like that move of like look to the past look to the past bring what you need into the future look to the future like constantly pivoting oh my god no, I, that is so true. I was like, that is the vibe. I think people are attached to like a false nostalgia. But then there's like this larger conversation, like who are you outside of this work? Is the core of who you are being attacked right now and you don't know what to do with it? Like just because things are moving in a different direction doesn't make your previous work null. You can still acknowledge the harm that happened the unintended consequences that happened when you decided to engage in the work in this way. In my kinder moments, I'm able to un like apply this understanding of like, I have some empathy in terms of people feeling that they have no power. And then like, what do you do with that? And is that why you are like, showing up this way in in your work like there's not enough of it to go around so you need to just bite down on it you know and where that kindness ends is when you start doing harm because you haven't worked on you know your own stuff of feeling powerlessness and you know, I think if we're going to build a future where we're actually like learning from what's come before, we need to have these conversations. I mean, uh, it's important to know what you don't want to be as you're planning what you want to be, I feel like. My hope is that we stop as a field, not a movement, as a field, we stop congratulating uh, martyrs. I don't want to be a martyr to do this work. And I don't want anyone I work with to think they have to be one either, you know? And I feel like you hit on that, that topic of like over-identification of the work. And it's like, well, who am I if I don't do this work? You know, that's huge. I mean, um, and sometimes when you're, mar you have to be a martyr to do the work to the, ex you know, at the expense of a personal life, at the expense of your physical and mental health, but you're there for the survivors. You know, there's this element of like, oh, I'll be the savior. Only I can save them. And, um, and then shutting down new ideas and shutting down even your past mistakes or even your, abel abel your ability to reflect upon them. And that's really dangerous. And instead of um, creating space for things to happen differently, what we're doing is basically like bringing in new folks. It's like, um, oh, we have to be more diverse. So let's bring in all these these young women of color into our organizations and basically create pathways for more of the same. These are the tools you have to use. 
like there is no spaciousness for like your ideas or you know so then it's basically like well it's not their it's not their fault if they're just navigating a system that you've put in place that you allow zero reflection upon even from yourself i just think these are important conversations we need to be having um as as people are retiring and, and moving out of the spaces and what are organizations going to look like as a result? And then what's the field going to look like? It's, it is kind of alarming because I see like, I see funders pivoting to that language and asking about diversity. And I have yet to see any sort of like grant application that says, if you are a white executive director, what have you done to become an more anti-racist? Mm -hmm. What has your organization done to become anti-racist mm. instead of how many people of, of color do you have working there? And it, you know, it can be applied to like a lot of different communities. I understand, but these, this is what, I mean, I've looked at two grant applications this week and it asks about diversity of staff. It doesn't ask about, um, how is your organization shifting in order to ensure that you go beyond diversity. Especially when learning about how um, women of color were at the root of this work and were like systematically pushed out on purpose. Yeah. And every other person who jumped into the field with like privilege has benefited from that. That needs to be acknowledged. There's a lot that needs to be acknowledged. And yes, I do agree that that is one of them. If we are going to be something different when we grow up. In general, I just haven't heard that accountability. Like, hey, mm. like when we're talking about privilege and stuff, it's like, how are you benefiting from the origin of that harm? Yeah. Not just like, how are you privileged? How are you benefiting from like the active harm that's being done is a different framework, I guess. Yeah. So I don't know. Now I'm just rambling, but. No, but it's true. It's, it's true. I've seen people do that on an individual level. I've seen white women do that individually and, and have worked towards some level of group accountability by acknowledging if you've been doing the work for 30 years, you've been a part of not maybe not directly, but you were there and were and saw things happen like um, mandated reporting for witnessing domestic violence to CFS. You've seen mandatory arrest laws come into play. You know, and again, these are both ends, but these these policies have centered white survivors. Mm -hmm. And certainly they've centered survivors who are English speaking in a lot of situations and survivors who were born and raised here, right? So we need to, we can't just be like, oh, I worked in hard and canvassed for VAWA, you know, yeah. which in and of itself is the, the you gotta look at all of it. You can't just look at the one thing like money because when the money influx came in, then it was like, we really need to professionalize these fields. We need to get people in here and know how to run an organization, not just sit there and be touchy-feely all day. So we're there for that too. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm interested in having conversations with other white women who have been in the field for a long time to be like, what was your response? You know, have you thought about the harm it's done? Ha- have you worked with the people who are actively being harmed by those things? You know, what does that feel like? What do we do now? I don't know. So I don't know. I'm trying to tie it back to uh, Woman Inc., but I guess it does tie back to Woman Inc. because I think that those conversations and discussions are really a part of our DNA. It's not like we have this great slew of answer- answers, but I mean, we do what we can in terms of behavior and putting into action and not getting stuck. But also I do, I do think we, we have those hard conversations and discussions about impact. And that looks differently for all of us, I think, you know? Yeah. Before we move on to the next part, I do want to acknowledge also that lesbian women were pushed out um, and trans women were erased from like historical documentation of um, anti-violence movements doing that research it was very intentional that lesbian women in particular were pushed out of dv orgs because like the whole um religious right in influenced the way that money was flowing to shelters and so leadership just pushed lesbian women out because it served their monetary interests that or people just had to pretend but that's so fucked up. We don't talk about that either. There's just so much missing. Really disturbed me to learn about what I didn't know when I was learning about it. Yes. I remember learning about the lavender menace and being very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a part of our history. It's not, it's, you know, it's just like anything else. So when we say we want to go back or we're nostalgic, what are you nostalgic for and what do you want to go back to? Right. What, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to your organization? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's complicated because what, you know, you want to go back to when it was super grassroots and, and like funding was non-existent. Mm. Man, did people trauma bond with the work? Of course. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like an abusive relationship, but anyways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) since we, (sighs) so we talked about organizational culture. We talked about redistributing power respectful and responsible use of power and how that's like supported a lot of like creativity and innovation and adaptiveness to try new things that maybe is like what people are actually needing yeah so that's cool back to something that's a little less like that's the thing that's part of the thing when you find like a space of empowerment in in the work, you are, I think, less likely to try and steal other people's power so that you can feel empowered. First of all, that never works. And also, if you feel empowered at your organization to do something different that your heart's in it, even if it doesn't go, like even if it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to, you just feel like 
that's when people are at their best. When we feel seen, when we feel intelligent and valued and like, wow, I didn't think of it that way. Like seen, mm-hmm. you know, empowered. Mm-hmm. And our, I truly, our organizations do have the power to do that. And what would happen if everyone felt empowered and everyone felt curious and everyone felt resourced to try things? How would that change our field? Mm-hmm. I think it would. I really do think it would. I think people wouldn't be as gnarly with their gatekeeping uh, because they wouldn't have to because they have power. They feel they feel valued. And the gatekeeping, all the things with gatekeeping, a lot of that, I really believe just the foundation of which is just feeling powerless and overworked. And like, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to do the same thing all the time. Yeah. I was going to say something and I forgot. Oh, oh, oh. I was going to connect it back to white supremacy culture and how gatekeeping and power hoarding uh, are super intertwined. Also, this idea of like, only I, only I can do this and perfectionism. Like, I'm sure there's also pressure for like, if someone is operating off of this framework and now have worked their way up to like a more authoritative position, this pressure that you put on yourself to be like a perfect quote unquote leader, uh, I'm sure is exhausting probably don't show up awesome when you're trying to adhere to all those things yeah moving on to existing policies this is all very connected so like when we were talking about like uh who holds power the board of directors for example usually holds a lot of authority in organizations and the process by which people are chosen to be there I think is also pretty gatekeeped and it was really refreshing to be at Woman Inc because all staff kind of had buy-in. There was transparency and like reviewing applications and like if people wanted to meet the applicants we could and just seemed more cohesive, collective, like it wasn't just a unilateral decision made by a couple people and that everyone's like opinion and gut feelings were, were valid and I appreciate that. Similarly, I think the hiring process feels very similar, like the to become an employee at Woman Inc. Um, can you speak to Woman Inc. hiring practices? One of our principles when we hire people is we try and hire from within. So either from within the volunteer pool or um, part-time, like say there's a full-time position available. Usually we're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could they could, could get this person in this position? What could we do like <laughs> to get this person? And those are folks who have worked with us either as volunteers or as part-time folks. And then it becomes a process of what's alluring about this job to you? What interests you the most? What what would your ideal full-time position look like here? And so, you know, even still these, these positions are in flux, 
but we really do value kind of um, uplifting current folks in the volunteer and, and staff team. We don't have requirements usually like around education unless it's required from some outside system. Like clearly the MFT associates are you know, vetted and all of the things. But um, we really focus uh, more on experience that applies to the program they want to work in. We value people with lived experience as survivors. I think we can, I think we can responsibly do that, knowing we have our culture of care and that we all like we are our authentic selves. And if anything should come up as a result of that, we've in the past, you know, offered time off or pay for therapy. Someone was activated at work. So we also try and bring in folks who are women of color or people of color, uh, BIPOC folks. So it depends necessarily, it depends on like the program we're working in too. So there's clear, clear um, qualifications, quote unquote, right, that we need in the Latinx program. Uh, so, you know, they're bi bicultural, bilingual Latinx folks who run that program and offer those services. We all interview folks. So um, when we bring someone in to a full-time position, uh, the leadership team interviews and we make those decisions as a team. So there's not one opinion that's lifted up over others unless that person is going to be working directly with them and like the Latinx program that's a co-manager co structure, for instance. So it's, you know, the other co-manager's opinion and desires as to who we hire is going to be lifted up over all of our other opinions. But mm -hmm. it's a process that's very collaborative. And usually if, you know, in some situations when we've given um paid hours to part-time to folks, we're like, okay, we want them to, um, we want them on our team. So how can we give them more hours? And like, where can we find that money? And how can we make it again? Like, how do we make it alluring for them to stay? And what are the needs? And it's kind of like a process of negotiation almost as to what they're gonna do. I'm sure I'm leaving things out, Shana. Um, but I don't know. I guess I'm also thinking about how it's refreshing that at Woman Inc. there isn't this like over emphasis on degrees, like bachelor's or master's. Like that's really not of utmost importance. Um, and I think that speaks to like centering what we actually exist to do is support survivors. So many people have like personal experience, have practical experience, and like a worldview that, you know, would really enrich an organization and maybe would be denied over like someone else who had like all these qualifications, quote unquote. Um, maybe at other places. And I just appreciate that it's just like not, it's not like not an end all be all. It's just like, 
another thing, like an, an extra thing that somebody has, not like a codifier for someone's um, quality as an as a applicant. Totally. And you know, the, the thing about that too, is we're a small nonprofit that can only pay so much. And I don't, I don't ever feel good thinking about like, okay, so um, every, we're all doing like a lot of emotional labor and you also need to be paying off some really serious student debt, but we can only pay this much. It's like, if you wanna, if you're making that decision because you're able to make that decision, that's different than an organization requiring that and not really paying a living wage, which is a whole other ball of wax, I understand. But it's one one way we can impact that in our hiring practices. Yeah. Yeah, and I started at Woman Inc. because I was a volunteer and I was like, I want to do this and that. I was like, I want to do social media and I want to support survivors. I want to do outreach and education. I just want to do all the things. And then one day, I don't remember if it was Maureen or if it was you, Jill. I think it was Maureen. I think I was working more with Maureen. It was Maureen. <laughs> okay. Um, she was like, Shana, you want a job? And I was like do I want a job? I'm about to graduate. You know, I love being here. I would love a job. <laughs> um, so that was very cool. I didn't have to like, well, I mean, it was very cool for me that I didn't have to go out of my way to find a job, but this whole hiring from within practice, was not something that I had encountered. Like, it's not something I even thought of at that time. Um, I just assumed, like, it was, like, highly competitive to get a job in San Francisco. And I just had to, like, work my ass off, which, don't get me wrong, I was working three jobs working my ass off. But um, it was just good to feel seen. And I just feel like you all have a good eye for people who just, like, want to be here and like really give a shit and have stuff to offer yeah and it's not all tied to external qualifications that it's very like it's like almost like a personal intimate decision like there's a lot of like i think a lot of intuition that comes into the hiring process that's so true like the energy they bring into the space mm -hmm. i'm always like from my perspective, I'm always kind of looking at the energy that comes in when they're in the space and like, does it balance existing energy? Like who can, I, I don't know. I like, I like working with people who have all these talents and skills that I don't have. And like, and I can see they come into the space and it's like lifted and they come into the space and they have like these ideas other people aren't talking about and it's like if it's in line with the values it's I'm like oh what can we do what can we do what can we do and if like someone takes a real shine to someone's work like if they're showing up like on the line like a volunteer is just doing a really good job we're like okay this person okay what can we do what can we do <laughs> how can we bring them on yeah 
we just were able to figure out like we've had Sabrina. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if she's done one of these yet. She, she will. I'm talking to her about it. Come on, Sabrina. Sabrina. Mm-hmm. She'll be here. But, She'll be here. There, another like very good prime example of like, we see her, she's got something, come on. And just like, here's some hours. Oh, here's some hours too. Here's some hours too. And then finally we got her to be full-time. We were able to do that. Yay. And then finally we were able to offer her the position of support line manager. And she's amazing and awesome. And she's got like really good ideas. She's always like firmly grounded in like the right things. Like, oh, we can't ask the volunteers to do that. We like, have we ever thought about this? It's just awesome. And um, yeah, that's the stuff. That's the stuff. That's the vibe. That's the energy. I yeah. love it. Uh, so Sabrina, is Sabrina, if you're listening, we're talking about you. Yeah, her, her Leo is like, well. <laughs> <laughs> the Leo vibes in the office. They're strong. They're good. Mm-hmm. That's you know you need you know I like having a Leo in the space and we've got like real good Leos, we've got real good Leos. Yeah, mm-hmm. they remind us to value ourselves and what we do. I feel like the Leos in our space, Stephanie. Yes. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I don't know if anyone listening is like into astrology, but I'm pretty obnoxious about it. So <laughs> we could let, let's be real. We could have a full, we could have a podcast about like, well, we, I, I and I would totally invite you to join Gina. Okay. Um, have a podcast about like tarot and DV and tarot and nonprofit management and astrology and nonprofit management and the vibe and the number. I mean, Wow, what a combo. That would be a very niche audience. That you would, I hope you would listen. I would listen. Oh, yeah. I think Maureen would listen. Maureen would totally listen. But anywho, thanks for going through those with me. Sure. I hope it's usable. My God, make the DV field great again. I mean, there is a lot of white supremacy in the dv field that's not an understatement that is truth that's true there that that is very true yeah anyway well until next time until next time thanks for joining us in this series on navigating with integrity Like we mentioned before, this is going to be a series where we break down a visual mapping we created of all the exchanges we had during the course of Shelter in Place. We hope that this can be a starting point to have some deeper conversations about what it looks like to transform our workplace environments and our movements to better embody our values and the kind of world we want to see moving forward. You can find the mind map on our blog at womaninc.wordpress.com.